0: And may we just, Lord, just leave this place rejoicing in you. Great things you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting. The first two uh, chapters of the Bible in Genesis, that God, uh, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we read about the creation, how he created the heavens and the earth, and it was all good. The last two chapters of the Bible we see that in chapter 20 at the end of the millennium reign that there's found no place for the heavens and the earth as we now know it they're going to go up in a fervent heat as as peter writes and then there's the final judgment and then last time we began to read about the new jerusalem the new heaven the new earth the new jerusalem and in the 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 new heaven and new earth and new jerusalem uh, we read that uh, god will wipe away every tear from their eyes there's There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away." And so the first two chapters of the Bible, he created the the heavens and the earth, and it was all good. And then chapter 3, of course, we know that sin entered into the world as Adam and Eve transgressed and ate of the forbidden fruit. And and, uh, the last two chapters uh, are dealing with the new heaven and new earth and, and no more sin. And everything between, you know, the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of the Bible is dealing with sin. And, and is dealing with man's rebellion uh, towards God and, and his redemptive plan. And, and as we look at this, it is so wonderful to know that this is our future here. And as we began to look at the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem, uh, as there's going to be the streets of gold described to us, the gates of pearl uh, with an angel and 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we also know there's going to be 12 foundations with the names of the apostles. And there's going to be a wall around this new Jerusalem of jasper like diamond. There will be, as I mentioned, no sea, no night, nothing that defiles the city. And that this new Jerusalem is hovering between heaven and the new earth. And as we continue looking at that, and then we're going to see that John's going to give a few closing comments that chapter 22 verse one, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the lamb. And as we look at the interior of the new Jerusalem, a river flowing through it, proceeding from the throne of God, it's a pure river Unlike the, the Poudre River or the Platte River or the Thompson River that can be murky or polluted, this is a pure river, uh, clear as crystal, and it's a symbol of richness. It's a, a symbol of of purity. It's a symbol of uh, prosperity. In Psalm 36, verse 8, the psalmist writes, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. Uh, Psalm 46, verse 5, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. And I find it intriguing because, of course, Jesus would stand there at that temple in John chapter 7. And he would cry out to the multitude, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow torrents of living water." He would say that on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles was the Feast of Booths where they would celebrate and commemorate how God brought them out of the wilderness. And you remember the children of Israel in that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, that there's the water that came from the rock. And so the priests would have a procession from the temple. They would go down to the Pool of Siloam. We were there just a few days ago. And they would come back and they would pour water on the pavement to commemorating how the Lord provided for them. But on the last day of the feast, it's written in Jewish history that the priests, they wouldn't fill up their pots with water. It commemorated that when they came into the promised land that that the river of water that would flow from that rock stopped because they had come into the promised land. And all of a sudden, as they're doing that procession and and, and singing the Psalms and and. All of a sudden, Jesus stands up and says, if any of you thirst, come to me and you drink. Drink of the living waters. And as you do, out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. Of course, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And I point that out because here's the thing. That we, I hope, are understanding as we go through the scriptures, as we've gone through the book of Revelation, that to experience true richness and pleasure and and Prosperity, it is found in closeness with Jesus Christ in intimacy with him and the Holy Spirit filling your heart and your life. And I point that out because Satan uses the world's pleasures and prosperity to destroy people. And we're going to see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that Paul is warning Timothy, you withdraw from those who are saying that godliness is a means of gain, financial gain, that brings all kinds of deception and corruption. It isn't having money that's a sin, but he goes on to say that it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. So people, they want to, to try to find fulfillment in the things of the world rather than fulfillment in him. And Christians can fall into that trap as well. You know, I gotta have more. I I gotta climb higher. I gotta do bigger. I gotta have, you know, more of this and that. And people get trapped into that, and this counterfeit pleasure and prosperity, and Satan's pleasures and prosperities, I'll tell you what, it will leave you bankrupt. It will leave you bankrupt in your soul. No satisfaction. And true and real prosperity and pleasure and richness and success comes from setting your heart on Him, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and walking after the Spirit. And when we live in this new heaven and earth and and this new Jerusalem, we will be truly seeing that our prosperity and pleasure and satisfaction and joy is in Him. It's going to be so glorious. It's so beautiful. And we will understand that as I do on this side of eternity, as I prioritize, and as I live for him, that, that true satisfaction is going to come to me. You know, there are those who are always looking for this thing to find satisfaction and, and, and this material thing, or whatever the case may be. And none of the things of the world is to be compared to what God has to offer us even now because he desires to give us life and life abundantly and what he has for us in eternity. The world and the things of the world, all of it's going to come to an end. We've seen that. Speaking of Jeremiah that we're going to go into next week in Jeremiah chapter 2, that Jeremiah was told by the Lord to tell the people, my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, when we were in Israel, we saw a whole lot of cisterns, you know these these these, these holes that were carved out of, of the rock because you know water there's no water lines, there's no pipes and things bringing in running water, so in Israel, in ancient times, they had to, to carve out these cavities you know, that were carved out of the rock, and water is scarce, and water is very valuable. We know how that is in this part of the country. And, and here, Jeremiah, you tell the people, they have forsaken me, the river of living water, and hewn out cisterns that can hold no water. The holding tanks in the rocks... The water would come down and be stored in the cisterns. And and the Lord is saying, you know, they cut out these cisterns that have cracks in them and they don't even hold water. And the water is lost. All that energy, all that effort... All that time to carve out that cistern and, and now it can't even hold water. It's not good for anything. The only thing that it was good for at that time was to put dead bodies in. They would use them for burial chambers. And the Lord is saying that to his people, you've forsaken me. You've forsaken the river of living water. And you've carved out these cisterns, these pursuits, these activities, these things that that you're pursuing and getting involved in. And it holds no water. And it ends up bringing death to you. And it's going to bury you. And it's a broken-hearted father saying, my people, they've forsaken me. The river of life. They carved out the cisterns and have taken... A whole lot of time to do that, a whole bunch of years, a whole lot of energy, and it's good for nothing. doesn't even hold water. In this new Jerusalem, there is a river that flows that speaks of the fact that the water from God is pure and truly brings satisfaction and fulfillment to you and to me. But it reminds me of something else. You remember that as we were talking about the millennium reign of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 20, that... We know that Jesus, when he comes back, Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that in the second coming of Jesus Christ that we talked about in chapter 19, he will come back. He will touch down on the Mount of Olives. We will be coming back with him riding on white horses. When he does that, Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that the mountain's going to heave in half. Matter of fact, it was back in the 60s that they found a fault that runs right down the middle of the Mount of Olives. So the mountain's going to heave in half. And then Ezekiel tells us in chapter 47 that as that happens, that there's going to be a river that's going to flow from the Mount of Olives and it's going to flow eastward to the Dead Sea. Now, we from the Mount of Olives, we can stand there and we look to the east and about 30 miles away is the Dead Sea. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth. So the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. Nothing flows out of the Dead Sea because it's the lowest point on the face of the earth. And it's full of salt. It's full of minerals. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. That's its name. And you can't even drown in the Dead Sea. You just kind of plop and you float on top of the water. It's a very strange thing when you do that. But in the millennium reign, there's going to be you know, this, this radical topographical change. And, and the Dead Sea is going to come to life with this river flowing into it. And there's even going to be a multitude of fish in, and people fishing it. But Ezekiel 47, talking about that event in the millennium, the mountain cleaves, the water begins to flow. Actually, the river then also flows to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea. And as you read it in Ezekiel 47, you read about a man that appeared to the prophet and told him, step into that river. Step into that river that, that's going to flow to the Dead Sea from the Mount of Olives. And Ezekiel would do that. And he stepped in and it went up to his ankles. And, and then he stepped out. He was told to go 1,000 cubits down the river and step in again. And he did, and it went up to his knees. And then he was told, okay, Ezekiel, go another 1,000 cubits. And he did, and he stepped in the river. It was up to his waist. And then the next time, as he continued down the river, he got in and he was submerged. It was over his head. And uh, he was caught up in the flow of the river, this Millennium River. And the reason that I think about this, in this story of Ezekiel, is because I think of the river, the person, uh, the presence, the the blessing, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Come drink of me, he says. That will ultimately bring you satisfaction and fulfillment. So I want to ask you a question tonight. How deep do you want to go? How deep do you want to go with the Lord? Some people, they just get their feet wet. And we all start out that way. We get saved and we're forgiven. We belong to the Lord. But as we progress in our walk with the Lord and draw close to him and know him and grow in in our relationship with him, I hope that we're ones that we go up to our knees, that we become men and women of prayer, that as we continue on up to our waist, that it speaks of reproduction, that we're witnessing to others and and blessing and benefit others in the body of Christ and desiring to see people come into the body of Christ that we would just say to you, the Lord, Lord, I want to be used of you and I want to surrender to you and I want to surrender all of my life to you to just be submerged in the Lord. How deep do you want to go? How deep do I want to go? Because he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But sometimes we just get weighed down with the cares of life and the world and thinking we're going to find pleasure and satisfaction and, and all of that and, and pursuing the things of the world. Listen, I understand we have jobs, we have businesses, we go to school, we have things that we do in this life. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things in this life, but is he really the priority of your life? So here, the people were looking for all that satisfaction and fulfillment and, 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 They were trying to find it in the world, in other things. And he says, listen, you've forsaken me. You've forsaken me. The fountain of living waters. And you've honed out and carved out these cisterns that cannot even hold water. And in verse 2, in the middle of his street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nation. Interesting, the Bible begins with the tree of life, right? Genesis 3, which man was not allowed to eat from after, you know, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we see the tree of life again. Interesting, 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And and for the nations, what is meant by that, it's really kind of a mystery. It's not like nations that we know of today because uh, the Lord's going to reign, you know, sovereignly, supremely. Uh, There's going to be no rebellion. There's no sickness. There's no sadness. Uh, And here we read about this tree of life. And somehow it's going to promote the enjoyment of life in the new Jerusalem. But as we continue in verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. We have lived with the curse describe of Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man. We know that Romans chapter 5 says that sin and death has come to all men, but life has come now through the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And we know that there's going to be that final place of no more curse. And we're going to serve the Lord and it's going to be glorious and wonderful. We will be so intrigued and at awe and blown away. But can I encourage you here tonight? Listen, serve him. Serve the Lord. We are here for such a time as this and i really believe that we're getting closer to the return of the lord i believe that the lord can come for us at any time we don't know the day or the hour but we see the signs that are around us that we've talked about over the last you know 9 months that are saying to us and screaming at us that the lord is coming back soon and we know that we're in the last days And what was interesting going to Israel is you see all the history. We're going to show you a a gate that Abraham walked through 4,000 years ago. All the history of the places of the Old Testament and and the gospel that took place around the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum. We're going to show you all those things and what God is doing now to prepare people for these last days. And and it's so fascinating. and, And you see that God is doing something. And we know that we're in very unique times and we're to be wise and watching and looking for the master's return because he says, I come at a time that you do not know. But we know that as we are here, we are to occupy till he comes. Listen, serve him now. And if you want to experience real joy in your life, it is such a joy to serve him, to serve others. He wants to use you. He wants you to be a blessing to others, to reach out to others, to share the love of Jesus Christ to a lost world, but also to serve in the body of Christ. And as you do, your heart's going to be full of joy, and it's it's going to be such a blessing to you. Don't miss out on that blessing. Serve him now. And in verse 4, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Face to face, fellowship with the Lord. Psalm 17, verse 5, or verse 15, actually, David writes, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And there's going to be that day. This is our future, those of us in Christ, that we will see him face to face. And I can't wait for that day. And we will have the name of the Lord written on our foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no lamp, verse 5 tells us, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. The glory of the Lord will be our our warmth and be our light. So in this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, it is perfect. Perfect. There's perfect restoration, no more curse. Perfect administration, the throne's in our midst. There's perfect submission, we shall serve Him. Perfect transformation, we shall see His face. Perfect identification, because His name's gonna be written on our foreheads. Perfect illumination, God is light. And perfect consummation, reigning forever with the Lord, with no end. And in verse 6, he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the Holy Prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Now, as we talked about in chapter 1, John, write these things that must shortly take place. That word shortly is tachos, is where we get our word tachometer. A lot of you know what a tachometer is. It shows the revving up, the RPMs. And as we we talked about in chapter 1, John, write these things down that must shortly take place. Now, the same thing is being said at the end of the book. And John is not being told that these things are going to take place shortly, John, in your day. But what he is being told is once that these things begin to come to pass, they're going to rev up. And I believe we're seeing that. I believe the puzzle will come together at a quicker, quicker pace as we get closer to the return of the Lord. Once these things start to happen, the end time events, it's not going to be long. Drawn out, uh, you know, eventually the Lord's going to come and it will come shortly. The Bible likens it to labor pains. Jesus said it was, the signs are like labor pains that point to the return of the Lord. Paul writes about that, the day of the Lord is like labor pains. And of course, a woman who goes into labor, that as she gets closer to delivering that child, the contractions get more intense, they become more frequent. And then the baby is born. Just as in the last days, once these things begin, the last days, events, the end time events, then all of a sudden they're going to become more frequent. They're going to be more intense. And then we're going to see the birth of the you know, kingdom of God as Jesus Christ is going to come back. And we're seeing these events coming to pass. Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. We're going to talk more specifically in our New Year's Eve prophecy update. The things that are going on in the Middle East, absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing to stand on the border of Syria to look down the valley. We're only 40 miles from Damascus. We can hear artillery fire in the distance. And somebody asked me, uh, in a question on Calvary Live yesterday, the things that are going on in Syria, do they have prophetic significance? You better believe they do. Because we are seeing stage setting events that are taking place that I believe that the next major war in the Middle East is going to come right down that valley. And what is described to us in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And God is getting a nation ready for that. And there's a lot of people in Israel right now there's a lot of people in Jerusalem are coming from all over the world. It, I've never seen it so crowded. I remember going there in the 1990s and 2000 when nobody wanted to go there. And I really believe that God is doing something and, and now the door is open because it's going to close. And we're going to see that as, even as those alliances of Russia and Turkey and Iran are already there in Syria, I remember... When we used to do Bible studies 20 years ago on Ezekiel 38, we used to think, how's Russia, how's Iran, Turkey? They don't even like each other. How are they going to come from so far away? Well, we know that they're there. The military's there. We're looking in the villages where there's Iranian military personnel there. They're there within, you know, eye shot and earshot of where we're standing in Israel. So... It's amazing to see these things begin to come to pass. When exactly is Ezekiel 38 and 39 going to happen? I don't know for sure. But write these things down that must shortly come to pass. And then behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book, that special promise that was given And now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Kind of what interests me is we just saw John in chapter 19, a few pages back, did the same thing. He fell at the feet of an angel and began to worship. And the angel says, don't do that. And now John does it again. And we think, how could he do that? He should have known better. The long suffering of our Lord, the patience of our Lord. Because I know I do things that I shouldn't be doing. I do them over and over again. And I have to keep going back to the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive me for that, these attitudes. Whatever the struggles might be. And he is long-suffering with us and patient with us. And I find great comfort in that. When I blow it over and over again, I come to him in and, and, and that time. And I need his mercy and grace. He doesn't just throw it in my face all the time. Yes, he wants me to, to repent. Yes, he desires for me to walk in obedience But his forgiveness is there. You see, Satan, he's the one that will throw it in your face because he's the accuser of the brethren. Remember Revelation chapter 12? who accuses us day and night. You're worthless. You're a spiritual waste. God doesn't love you. And he lies. And the Lord is so patient and loving to us. And you see, Satan will lie to us because he wants you to, to... to withdraw from the Lord, pull away from the Lord. The Lord doesn't want to talk to me. He, he must be tired of me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't want to forgive me. But the Lord's forgiveness is there. And he says, draw close to me. I want to work in your life. I want to help you with this. I want to make you stronger. I, I, I desire to work in you to give you the power to live a life for me. And he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy in verse 10 of this book, for the time is at hand. There are preachers, commentators, professors, Bible teachers who will tell you and me, you cannot understand Revelation. It really is, I think, unfortunate that there are many pastors that say, I will not take my congregation through the book of Revelation. It's too hard. It's too difficult. We can't really understand it. Well, those of you who've been with us in our study this year, it hasn't been that hard, difficult. They say there's too much symbolism. And we know that as we go through it, those references made to the Old Testament, we can understand the book of Revelation. And don't seal it. A unique blessing to those who hear the words and read it and keep those things at the beginning of the book and now at the end, you're blessed. And it's been a blessing, hasn't it? It hasn't been hard to understand, but a real benefit for us. And he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Make your choice. If the things of this book haven't changed you, seeing the Lord high and lifted up, that he's going to come back, there's going to be a final judgment day, that there's a place called the lake of fire, that there will be the wrath of God poured out on a Christ-rejected world, sinful world. If that hasn't changed you, what will? What will? In the eternal hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And the Lord says in verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Jesus wants us to live in expectation of his return, to be watching, not be caught off guard, to be living for him. Uh, We're not saved by our works, we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, by His grace through faith. But with that said, we've also have talked about quite extensively how there are rewards to be given, what we have done in this life for Christ, when we stand at the beam reward seat of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how how people today think, sometimes, you know, you know, I remember it, it seems like whenever like... Powerball, or whatever they call it, it gets up to four or five hundred million dollars. And all these people, millions of people, are, are buying these Powerball tickets. Maybe I'll win, even though their odds of winning are one in 360 million. Maybe I'll win the jackpot. I'll spend money. People spend hundreds of dollars buying these tickets thinking that I'll be the one to win. Somebody's got to win. Hundred and you know, twenty million to one, three hundred and sixty million to one. I've heard odds as the jackpot gets bigger. Can I give you a sure bet? Believe on the Lord and live for him. And the rewards will be greater than anything you can receive in this world, and they will be for all eternity. But outside are dogs, verse 15, and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you the things in the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit of the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. I really like this truly want to be rich and satisfied and refreshed and prosperous, then come and drink of the water of life freely. In Isaiah chapter one, you know the verse, a lot of you. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they are as white as snow. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. You know, it's always in the scripture, listen, come. The invitation of Jesus is always to come. It's not get away from me. Or you disgust me. The invitation is to come. Whatever state you find yourself in. It is always come to me. When Jesus started his public ministry, a couple of disciples of John the Baptist started to follow after Jesus. And you can read it in John chapter 1. And they heard him speak. And they're following Jesus. And they turned to them and said, what do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus said, what? Come and see. Come and see. And they never left. Later on in the chapter, you, you have, you know, Nathaniel uh, said, and uh, to, you know, um, or Philip said you know, to Nathaniel that it was sitting under a fig tree that, hey, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what was the response of Philip? He said, come and see. You continue in John's Gospel in chapter four, Jesus, who met that woman, that Samaritan woman at the well, who had five husbands previously. She goes into the city of Samaria and says to the men of the, of the city, come and see, come and see a man who has told me all that I have done. And maybe tomorrow you might want to give a word to someone that is linked to you in your life. Maybe even that person that bugs you at work or at school or that family member or that neighbor or that old friend of yours that the Lord is saying, go to them and say, come and see. Come and see. Taste of the Lord. And come and drink of the waters freely. Come and see his goodness and his provision and his love for you. Because you see, just a few days ago, we stood at a place That was a place of execution. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus would take a cross and he would walk down the narrow streets of Jerusalem and out the Damascus Gate to that place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. You can still see the imprint of the skull there. And he died for you and for me because of his love for us. And in short... Distance from there in this place where there was a garden, there's a tomb that they found. Maybe, perhaps, the very tomb that Jesus was laid in that he only borrowed for three days. And when you go into the tomb, it's empty. He rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death. No one else did that what Jesus has done for us, that we can be a part of this new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. No more sin, no more curse, no more pain. That's our future. We are the most blessed people all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Tell somebody, tell them, come and see. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Heavy warning here, don't mess with God's word. Don't take away from it. Don't add to it. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I come Quickly, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. John says, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. John's desire was that Jesus come quickly. The people here that were going through such persecution at the end of the first century by the hands of Domitian, what was their their hope? They were saying, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. They were looking for the return of the Lord. So, what's your desire? And what are you looking for really in this life? For him to come back? For him to come and work in our lives? To bring us satisfaction and fulfillment and true purpose in life and life abundantly? And then the Bible ends with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of God. The unmerited favor of God. And it's a wonderful way to end the Bible. And we are saved by grace through faith, it's not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast in what he has done for you and for me, that this becomes a reality for us. So Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this study in the book of Revelation and being able to look at this book that speaks of those things that must shortly come to pass. And I thank you that The promise has been given to us of a blessing to those who read these words, who hear it, and hold fast to them. We have such a wonderful future, those of us who are in Christ. And I pray that we would come to understand more and more as we study your word. That, Lord, you come to give us life and life abundantly. The true joy and fulfillment and purpose comes from having intimacy with you, closeness with you, growing in the word of God. It doesn't come from hype and entertainment and chaff. (laughs) Lord, it comes by knowing you, walking with you, going deep in the things of the Lord as you fill us with your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I just pray tonight, first of all, perhaps there's somebody here listening on, on live stream, <clears throat> maybe on the radio later, that you've never come to Jesus Christ. The invitation is to come, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That as you come and recognize your need to be forgiven, And to turn to Jesus who hung on that cross and died for your sins. To repent, it means just change direction. Quit going the way you're going. Maybe you thought that you're okay just the way you are to stand before God. None of us are good enough. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you thought you can be religious enough. None of us can be religious enough. We can't save ourselves. Only Jesus can. when he hung on that cross, he cried out, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price. And then he was put into a tomb and he rose again. So as we come to you, Lord, and give our lives to you and surrender and ask you into our hearts, we have the hope of eternal life and forgiveness and right relationship with you. If that means anything to anyone right now, Will you call out on the name of the Lord? He loves you. Today is the day of salvation. There is no other salvation. And you can pray right where you are, that Jesus, I come to you. Oh, I've sinned. I confess it. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. And you bore my sins upon yourself. I believe your life speaking to my heart, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart and my life as my personal Lord and Savior and want to drink of the living waters, and I want to know you and walk with you, to walk closely with you, and I thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name and if you pray that prayers we're going to have communion here listen communion